This is the Simi Sarah Show On Demand. Subscribe now on iTunes. Listen to the show each weekday 10 to 2 on 980 CKNW and through the Radio Player app. Let's talk some earthquake preparedness. And I know right now you're thinking, oh, wow, I didn't mean to get that earthquake preparedness kit all set up in my garage. We always say that every time we talk about this story, but we never quite get around to it. Well, there was a recent story in the Star Vancouver newspaper that actually made us think even more about what we would do if a major earthquake hit this city. We know that it's inevitable that at some point their big one will hit here, but this investigative report actually took a look at what would happen to our water water supply if we were to be impacted by a big earthquake. To talk more about this, Michael Mui joins us now, a Star Vancouver investigative reporter. Michael, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. So tell me, what did you take a look at here? Well, uh, it started out because I noticed um, uh, a water utility over in Alberta, Epcor, had been looking at uh, alternative water sources, how to bring in more water if they couldn't provide water based on lessons from a Fort McMurray and Calgary floods. And, you know, I just thought, hey, you know, this is something that BC should probably be thinking about considering we're, we're going to be having this earthquake and talking about it. And, you know, it wasn't too surprising that uh, BC government had thought about it. They had determined that here's what we need, 15 million litres per day, uh, assuming that a million residents would be affected and out of water until the water services get brought back up. So we started going around saying, hey, look, uh, now that these numbers are out there, you know, what can each of you, each of you as in respective governments all around, provide? And what did you find out? Well, uh, it's early days is what I found out. Uh, everybody sort of had to pause and take a look at what their existing equipment was. I don't think that there is currently right now a coordinated effort to buy and new equipment to fill that demand so much as they're tallying inventory that they're trying to figure out who's going to do what. Um, I've been told that we are supposed to have a regional uh, 22 municipality joint water emergency drinking water plan uh, at some point. Um, it should have been already completed, but as far as I can tell, it hasn't. Um, and in speaking with many of the cities, I could tell that some of them had thought about it. Others, it was so far back on the back burner that, um, you know, it was almost like they were scared to talk about this. And so, Michael, that's <laughs> kind of surprising, isn't it, though? Because we always get told that we need to be prepared, right? We have the great shakeout every year. Uh, we're always told, here are the things you need. They're very good at telling us what we need to do, but it sounds like governments also need to learn that lesson. Well, well, that's exactly it. When I approached, um, you know, Emergency Management BC, the Canadian Armed Forces, the, the multiple city halls, the, the regional uh, IPREM is what they call it, uh, the regional group of governments, they, they all said the first response to me was, well, you know, what we really hope is everybody prepares their own drinking water. And I'd say to them, well, look, uh, what I'm trying to do is tell the taxpayers what they're paying for and then what you're going to do. Yeah. <laughs> and I think they, they were a bit taken aback and, you know, said, okay, well, well I suppose we, we do need to answer something. Um, and, and to that, I, I think, you know, when you're talking about the larger, uh, richer municipalities like, like Vancouver, Surrey, they, they have a good idea um, of what they might do. Um, you know, Vancouver, they've got 25 different community centers. They're all posted on the website, um, vancouver.ca. 
Um, and if you have one in your neighborhood, the message I've been given is, look, if you need supplies, we will try to have volunteers there at those centers. We will try to distribute supplies at those centers. We're going to uh, isolate parts of the uh, water pumping, uh, water you know, pipe system, right. attach pumps to them. So we can you know, get water out of a hydrant, put it into a filter. We'll have something for you. With Surrey, it's much the same message. They've identified eight potential sites where they might park uh, essentially their fire trucks. They've got three fire trucks that can do uh, water um, purification. Um, and these sites will be, you know, ponds, they'll be rivers, et cetera. Um, they haven't released those sites, but they have that in place. And their plan is to use uh, resources such as yourselves, you know, radio in right. the event of an emergency to let people know. Smaller municipalities, not so much. They'll probably have to rely on their neighbors. Well, that's unfortunate then. So you've, for Vancouver and Surrey, there's a plan, but lots of other municipalities, not so much is what you're saying. Yeah, so so I think a lot of uh, other municipalities are hoping that, uh, you know, Metro Vancouver will step in, you know, the regional water utility, or perhaps the provincial government would come and help, or perhaps the military would identify, you know, pockets that, that need help and step in and you know, and with respect to that, if the provincial government does come through and does sign all these agreements with, with water uh, beverage bottling companies um, to bring in sort of a second wave of resources, the relief supplies, if, you know, the military deploys and they, they claim to be able to do so anywhere in the country within 24 hours um, upon receiving a request, uh, then, then you know, if all those come into place, then maybe they don't have to worry. But Right. Uh, you know, even when the armed forces was, um, it was as a, at an emergency planning conference where uh, the armed forces were telling, uh, you know, YVR, the cities, etc., exactly how to request their assistance. There was some criticism from, from municipalities in B.C. that had requested their help before. You know, one comment from, from one, uh, I think it was a fire chief, was that we asked for the help. It came 20, 72 hours too late. It wasn't what we asked for. So what's going to happen when the earthquake comes? So do you think that we go through this, Michael, as well? Because we haven't gone through the kinds of emergencies they've had in, like, uh, Alberta. They had those four-member wildfires. So they've learned, right, what they need to do. We haven't really had a situation like that. That's, you know, the feedback that I've been giving, given, certainly. Um, I think attitudes are starting to change. Uh, you know, there was a lot that I wanted to include in there, such as in the Washington state, I spoke with their military department. And they undertook a uh, exercise, um, the same exercise that uh, uh, our BC government, you know, conducted to determine that we need this much water. And their findings were that, look, um, we probably can't source that much resources locally in Washington state. So we're going to have the ship. It's called the USS Bob Hope. Uh, we're going to base in San Diego, and it's just going to sit there. And if the castery ever comes, we're going to load it up with whatever we need whatever right. we have at that point, and we'll just send that ship out. It should get there in five days. Wow, that's, so, a, that's the so, plan. <laughs> you know, so, so I think there is a shifting attitude, even in regions that perhaps have had less experience with disasters, that perhaps there needs to be um, a plan that proactively pushes resources as soon as a disaster strikes, rather than... Um, what uh, is currently the standard in Canada is when you are overwhelmed as a lower level of government, then you seek resources and help from a higher level. Right. And it's very much reactive where a request is made and the resources delivered later. This when is 
Yeah, this is kind of scary stuff, though, Michael. What kind of response have you gotten since uh, this report came out? Well, uh, I think, you know, a lot of folks in B.C. understand that, you know, the earthquake is coming and and it reinforces that message that, you know, people do need to prepare. We can hold the government to account as much as we want, but at the same time, you know, me writing something like this isn't going to magically uh, open up a new multi-million dollar budget for everybody to, to suddenly equip themselves. I think the message is still the same, that even though governments do have some accountability and they are required to provide something, um, if they don't have enough, you're, you're out of luck and, and you need to figure out a way to take care of yourselves. Um, you know, I think this is something that multiple levels of government have thought about to the consideration that, you know, even thinking about whether anybody would show up for work right. uh, beyond, you know, the current shift. I think there's a lot of those conversations that need to be had. And I don't know that it's so much them reacting to my story as this is information they've already understood. I think what I want to do by telling that story is to let everyone know, look, look, these are some of the conversations that's happening. No, it's not done. It might not be completed in time for the earthquake, but but people are concerned about this. Uh, people in positions that can do something about it. Right. So that's a good lesson for us, though, too, isn't it, Michael? Because we tend to think that, oh, okay, I may not have gotten my earthquake kit together or anything like that. But, you know, the government will be there. They're going to have to look after us. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's the thinking as well. And I think people uh, generally may think that they have more than they uh, have actually prepared for. You know, I, I think back to a government survey. It was um, it's published February 2018, and it said only four in ten people in British Columbia don't have three days' worth of drinking water. And I'm thinking of, you know, people I know around me. Yeah. And almost all of them don't have three days' worth of drinking water just sitting around. I know I have... 24 bottles of 500 milliliter water in my vehicle's trunk at all times. But uh, beyond that, I mean, even looking around my home, uh, no, I don't have. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> three days worth. And you're the reporter doing this story. <laughs> it is a good lesson for all of us. Michael, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Cindy. Appreciate your time. That was such a good lesson for all of us. That's Michael Mui. He's a star Vancouver investigative reporter.